listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. and welcome to episode 30 of Footprints on Our Hearts. In today's episode, I've got an interview with Amy Watson, who's a life coach specializing in supporting women who've experienced baby loss. We talk about the two children Amy didn't get to bring home, Lauren and River, and how their deaths affected her older children. And she also has some very wise words for us on allowing ourselves to feel the full range of emotions and how important that is in terms of accepting our grief and moving on with our lives and looking for for hope and joy in life after loss. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to have a bit of a one of my little rambling chats today about the impact of COVID on baby loss statistics, particularly stillbirth. So this is less about people's experience of loss and more about the actual raw statistics and has, you know, has the pandemic led to an increase in baby loss? Now, understandably, there isn't much research on this yet because it's, well, it's still ongoing, isn't it? But there was a small study released last month, which I have to admit, I didn't pick up at the time. So thank you to Alexa for drawing it to my attention. Um, And this is a small study on stillbirth rates at a London hospital, which compared the rates from a four-month period before the pandemic to a four-month period during lockdown, or mostly during lockdown. I think it was sort of February to mid-June. Now, I obviously need to emphasise this is a very small study, but it did show a noticeable increase in stillbirths. So during the four-month period, which was looked at before the pandemic, there were four stillbirths at this hospital. And during the four-month period during the pandemic, there was 16. Now, that is a quadrupling (laughs) of the rate, which is statistically significant, obviously, in the context that, you know, this is one hospital in one country. um, And there could be a number of reasons behind that. But but to me, that really is significant. Now, I do want to emphasize that, and it sort of states in the report that none of the women had symptoms of COVID-19. And the postmortem and placental examinations, which were carried out, I don't know if they were carried out on, on in all the cases, but those that were carried out didn't suggest that COVID-19 was itself a factor in the deaths of those babies. However, that said, the women weren't tested because in the UK, sort of routine testing wasn't being carried out at that time. And as we all know, you can have COVID and be asymptomatic, not show any symptoms. So that can't be completely ruled out as a factor, but I think it's probably safe to say that, you know, COVID itself, the the virus was not probably the cause of that massive increase in rates. So I think what's more interesting really is looking at this in the context of the indirect effects of COVID and lockdown. 
So the report suggested that one possible reason for the increase could be the reluctance of mothers to go to hospital when needed. For example, if they felt like movements had reduced, perhaps a bit of fear of contracting the infection or not wanting to add to the NHS burden. Um, so that I felt a bit like that was the primary reason put forward. And in some of the articles on um, which which talk about this research, that, that seems to be emphasised. But I think they do acknowledge that changes in obstetric services could have played a role um, due to you know staff so- shortages, reduced antenatal visits, ultrasound scans, etc. And if you listen to my interview with Alexa in episode twenty-eight, you might remember that her one of her appointments, her thirty-four week midwife appointment, was done over the phone um, because it was during that early stage of lockdown. And I think particularly during that sort of first month or two of lockdown, um, when I think, you know, hospitals and maternity services and everyone were, were kind of scrambling to to scale up to deal with this, you know, this pandemic, which we were going to be hit by, and looking at how they could reduce any, quote, unquote, non-essential services. A lot of appointments were cancelled. A lot of low-risk pregnancies particularly had perhaps midwife appointments either cancelled or carried out over the phone rather than face-to-face. And obviously, if you carry out an appointment over the phone, they can't check your blood pressure, your urine sample. They, you know, they're not measuring your bump. So those kind of routine checks, which you get particularly during the later stages of pregnancy, were perhaps not being carried out so thoroughly. Um, And I think, again, anecdotally, I also know that a lot of uh, reassurance scans, again, quote unquote, were cancelled. And, you know, these may have been scans which could have picked up growth issues or, you know, other abnormalities. Now, I don't, I don't know the statistics, and I don't, I don't have information on the statistics. But I do know that most of the parents who I've spoken to on the podcast, who lost their babies, um, whose babies were stillborn at or near full full term, had low risk pregnancies. Um, And I'd, I'd be really interested to know what your thoughts on this are, because Obviously, low risk doesn't mean no risk. But I think if you're told you have a low risk pregnancy, then A, you're perhaps less likely to be worried if you, um, you know, if you perhaps don't feel baby moving as as much as normal. And also, you're put in that bracket, perhaps, again, and I'm, you know, I'm not making accusations here. It's, it's just a thought of if maternity services at hospital have to be scaled back because they've got staff shortages or you know for for other reasons there then it may be that the low risk pregnancies who are seen as as less vital to be seen and what we don't know um and what's not clear from the report is whether any of the the women who were pregnant with these babies had missed appointments had um, you know, or other screening, which perhaps could have picked up issues earlier, and I don't know, may- maybe could have saved those those babies' lives. So, yeah, I I just wanted to kind of mention that because I think you know there are a lot of 
indirect, there will be a lot of indirect impacts of the pandemic and lockdown on all kinds of health services and you know, people suffering all kinds of conditions. But I think this is this is one of the few things I've seen of the impact of baby loss. And yeah, I'd be really interested to know what you think about this. And, you know, if you were pregnant during the pandemic or are pregnant, does lockdown or, you know, worrying about putting pressure on the NHS make you more reluctant to get checked out? Um, and even if you aren't, pregnant um, or weren't pregnant you know do you think that would make a difference to you in terms of whether whether you'd go in or whether you'd choose to stay at home or do you feel like the reduction in routine maternity services has made a bigger difference so I just want to stress again that this is just this is a tiny study and hopefully in time there will be larger studies which will give more meaningful data um to you know to be able to draw proper conclusions in terms of that these indirect impacts but I just thought it was a really interesting point to discuss and so if you do have thoughts please do um email me Alison at footprints on our hearts and message me or message me on instagram I also wanted to say a big massive thank you following my ask for support on last week's podcast. Um, I've now had a few people come forward to guest host the podcast so you may hear a few different voices um, hosting and interviewing guests over the next few months. Um, I am still looking for one or two people to help with editing as this is really the limiting factor in how many episodes I can put out due to the time it takes. So it takes it takes me about between an hour and three hours to edit an episode and you know that is a big ask to put it on one person so I ideally particularly that you know if they're a volunteer I would quite like to spread that between people if I can so if you have experience of audio editing or are interested in learning please do get in touch and finally, I want to give a big shout out to my first patrons of the podcast which is Oh, it's so exciting. Um, I really am, yeah, I'm quite overwhelmed that, you know, people have come forward to, to help support the podcast financially and help me keep it going. So a big, huge thank you to Meg, Alexa, Elle and Joe for your pledges and your support helps me cover the costs of keeping the podcast going. So after um, I've covered the basic monthly costs of the hosting and production, etc., my next goal is to have enough money coming in to be able to pay an audio editor, um, which will go a huge way to guaranteeing that I can keep putting out weekly episodes. And, you know, as much as I really appreciate volunteers and I'm looking for volunteers right now, I do believe that people should be paid for their work. So um, if I can get the money in to pay an audio editor, then that that really will make a huge difference and will mean that I can continue putting out the podcast um, frequently. Other things I'd like to do in the future, um, if I can, and again, depending on the level of support, is to start doing transcriptions for episodes again and to do some more kind of community support work. So if you would like to support the podcast and take advantage of the exclusive patron benefits, then you can support it from just a few pounds a month at patreon.com slash footprints on our hearts. Today, 
Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Amy, who's mum to eight children, including two children she didn't get to bring home. She's also a life coach to lost moms and hosts the Smooth Stones podcast, a fantastic podcast for mums with angel babies. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. And could you start by introducing your large family to us? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to talk to you. Well, my family is just, yeah, there's a lot of us. I got married and kind of wanted to be a mother. That's, I mean, I went to school, I graduated, all of those things, but I really just wanted to be a mother. And I was lucky I didn't struggle with infertility or anything like that, um, obviously. So we were able to have four little girls, right? Kind of all really close together. Um, And then we were pregnant with our fifth girl, which I was a little bit surprised that we're having another girl, but we were already really good at it. So anyways, and everything was fine with um, that pregnancy, but just a few days before my due date, um, Lauren, she didn't, I couldn't feel her kicking and we found out that she did not have a heartbeat. And that's, you know, a whole nother story, but we we went on to have a baby right after Lauren, just a few months after I got pregnant and he was born, our little rainbow baby was born um, just over a year after she was born. And I also had a few years later, um, the chance to be pregnant again. I was pretty excited. We made it past the first trimester. And then at 14 weeks, we found out that that baby did not have a heartbeat and that was, you know, a different experience, but we named that baby River and it seems a little crazy, but we did go on a little bit later to have another rainbow baby. And that pregnancy was very um, difficult and high risk. And I ended up with preeclampsia and we ended up having him five weeks early Um, There was like hospital bed rest, all kinds of things, but he got here and was safe and yeah, he's kind of the end of our little family story and, you know, we're just really grateful that we got the opportunity to have these little boys in our lives. So you'd had four children before Lauren and so you must have been pretty much a pro at pregnancy and birth by by this stage and you said your your kind of pregnancy with Lauren was pretty smooth as well and um, so I guess you must have been pretty relaxed through that at what point did you realize that something had gone wrong yeah I I really was lucky or blessed or whatever you want to call it I pregnancy I mean it's not easy for anyone but I I didn't mind being pregnant um, my worst symptom was usually just being tired. Um, and yeah, we'd kind of done it and and we weren't really worried. I remember we had like slightly elevated blood pressure, um, but it wasn't anything the doctor was worried about and it wasn't any like red flag ever. It was just a tiny bit elevated blood pressure. And I really like my mom had flown in. I'm from Canada, um, but I live in the States now. And my mom had flown in, like we were 
ready to have this baby. We were washing the clothes, you know, just just ready to have the baby. And I was busy. And I feel like a lot of people like like you don't notice them not kicking because you know, if you're not paying attention and you're just like I was nesting, I was finishing up all these projects and we went hiking um, that day. And I really thought, oh, we'll hike the baby out. Like I'll walk and this will get um, labor going. And so it wasn't till like the night. So I was due on the 17th of March and this was like the 13th. And I would have had a doctor's appointment that day, which is always an interesting part of the story. Um, but my doctor was out of town, so I had moved the appointment um, just a couple days later. And so we didn't have an appointment the Tuesday, and then the Wednesday we were all busy. But then that's when I I noticed. Well, first I thought that maybe I was in labor. I started feeling some cramping, and I thought maybe it was the beginning of contractions. I was just going through all of that, walking around. Um, it was kind of the middle of the night. And I was timing and writing down the contractions, but I was just by myself. I didn't wake up my husband. Um, the kids were all sleeping. And that kind of went on for some hours. And it was in the morning, I think, after all the, what I thought were contractions, when that had, it kind of slowed down and kind of went away. Um, then I realized, you know, I really haven't felt her kicking for a while. And, but I wasn't con- like that concerned. I guess, you know, you're just not thinking anything. Um, so, yeah, we ended up calling in and seeing if I could get an appointment. And again, I didn't even think to just go into the hospital. They just made me an appointment for later that afternoon. And I kind of went through the day wondering, am I going to go in labor? Is everything okay? And a little bit nervous, but mostly just excited. Mostly excited to have this baby. And yeah, that was kind of everything that happened before, obviously, we went in to the doctor. and That must have been a massive shock then. So I guess they they tried to find baby's heartbeat and weren't able to to find it at that point. Um, and particularly being so close to your due date and having those kind of sort of labor symptoms. Uh, so were, were those early contractions, do you think, or, or was it just kind of the, the sort of tightenings you get before you go into labor or was it something to do with Lauren? Um, yeah, I, what I think, we don't know a hundred percent for sure, but it seemed like the placenta had abrupted. Um, partially. And so I think that it might have just had something to do with that, that like the placenta was kind of peeling away um, from the side of the uterus and there was reaction, you know, my uterus was reacting to that or I honestly don't know. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what I think is what I thought was labor was maybe like everything happening um, that caused her to pass Mm -hmm. away. So, but yeah, we went, I mean, we went into the doctor. It was kind of, you've probably heard the story before, you know, they can't find the heartbeat with the Doppler. 
And then they go get the little, they had like a little a laptop ultrasound. They checked with that. They still don't say anything. And then they're like telling me to go to the big ultrasound. Um, the big ultrasound, they turned off the screen. Um, so at that point, I mean, we already knew. I mean, we've been through this before. She's that far along. Like you're going to be able to find the heartbeat pretty easily. So um, yeah, it was just, I remember it just being really quiet. Um, I know for some people, like there's crying and screaming and like all the things that happen when you're just faced with something so shocking. Um, but for me and my husband, I just, it was just really quiet. Like we both just were really quiet and yeah, just shocked. I think everyone responds to to shock in different ways and you never know, you know, until you're in that, put in that kind of um, situation, how you're going to respond. Um, so were you then induced to give birth to Lauren or what, what happened next? Did they give you some time to process what they were telling you? Yeah, they, so what happened is they took me just down to labor and delivery and it's, it was a really small hospital. So they kind of just took me the back way down to labor and delivery. And my husband went home to tell the other, the little girls. Um, So they thought, you know, I was at the hospital to get their baby sister. He had to go sit him down and and do that. And again, in hindsight, I'm kind of thinking, why didn't, I think that everyone was in shock. Like nobody knew the right thing to do. And so I just, we went along with it. Um, I got changed into my gown and kind of started the process um, to be induced. And yeah, just got everything going Um, there. My husband came back Again, we were lucky grandma was already in town and so she could watch my kids. But that was not, um, of course, what she was planning on and pretty pretty devastating for her um, too. So yeah, we just started labor and I had been induced quite a few times before because I tend to just never, I just like to keep my babies inside forever. Um, and so I was grateful that I understood kind of the process and I decided to just treat it like I would, you know, to make it the birth that I wanted, um, to kind of walk as long as I could and do everything I could to help deliver the baby. Um, but then, you know, it ended up being the middle of the night. We did kind of get an epidural and we were just exhausted emotionally and physically. And, um, eventually she was born in the middle of the night, like three in the morning. And yeah, I think it was, I was scared. Like, I think I didn't know what to expect. Um, I knew we wanted to meet her and hold her and all of those things, but I just wasn't sure. I mean, nobody's really sure what condition the baby's going to be in or you know, I was afraid that we would break her or, you know, like that she would be very delicate. And, but, um, yeah, they cleaned her up and brought her to us and she was just beautiful. Um, tons of hair, like just, she was just beautiful. And we just got to spend some time with her and, um, rest. And then in the morning we had everyone come and meet her and do pictures 
and kind of make some memories there. And can I ask how old were your daughters at this point? So my oldest was 10 and then down to three years old. So they very much understood um, what was happening. Even the three-year-old, a lot of people said, oh, she probably doesn't get it. But she got it. Like she had been to every doctor's appointment with me. Um, she was so excited. And and she was so cute holding her. Because um, she just doesn't have, she was just holding her like she would have if she was alive. You know, she just didn't want to let her go. We were kind of passing her around and taking pictures and she wanted to keep her, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like so cute and so heartbreaking. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty rough on them. Yeah, I can imagine. Do you think um, them meeting Lauren and getting that opportunity to sort of see her and hold her kind of help them through the next weeks and months? Uh, yeah, for sure. I always, well, I, I think kids are so much stronger than we think. And I think them having that, I don't want to say closure, but you know, having the experience of getting to meet her and see her and not have to imagine it or like, cause it's so hard when they're little to understand, but I think getting that experience to see and hold their sibling um, was helpful. And then to have pictures and have that as a memory. Um, we had the pictures, even on my older girls, they had the pictures on their wall, you know, for quite a while. Um, they're teenagers now, so they redecorated, but, but yeah, I think it really helped them to have that. Yeah. And I, I guess it makes it it, it makes her a real person for them as well. Cause even though they're kind of real when they're in your, in your belly until, you know, they actually see that kind of baby at the, at the other end, it's, it must still be a little bit, you know, it is still a little bit abstract. Yeah. Um, and most of the people I've spoken to on the podcast either had one older sibling perhaps or no siblings when their baby died, but you had four children of sort of varying ages at home to look after and support while figuring out your own grief. So what was your experience of grief in those early days? And how did you juggle supporting your family through their grief and also giving yourself time to grieve? Yeah, I think that that's something that is totally unique to everyone too. Um, for me, having those girls was, you know, it's what gets you out of bed and it keeps you going. And it definitely doesn't allow you to just dwell on things. Um, but we were pretty intentional. Um, I'm a reader, like that's what I do. So as soon as we went through this, I was like looking at all the books and blogs and just trying to figure out how to help my kids through grief. Um, so we were pretty open. We, if they said, I miss Lauren, I said, so do I. Or if they were sad, I said, I'm sad too. You know, and we just, we had some great friends who helped out and we lived in a really small community. And it was just like, I always say, if you're going to have something bad happen, it was just a great place to have it happen because people just, embraced us and helped us. And, you know, I'm 
so grateful for that. But but yeah, I definitely tried to, you know, show them I was sad, but also, I don't know, just that balance of you got to keep going, right? You got to keep being the mom. You got to keep doing all the things. Um, I tended to let go. I let go of a lot of the outside things um, and really just focused on our family and grieving and making sure everyone was as okay as they could be. Mm -hmm. And did you notice any differences kind of either in that early stage or over the years in how your children have grieved sort of the same way as each other or differently and how they perhaps respond to situations such as you know, perhaps in those initial weeks, people asking about the baby. Yeah, they were all different, really. Um, they all have really unique personalities. And of course, their ages, especially at the beginning. Um, it was really, I think my older ones, they understood a little bit more. Um, some of the younger ones, uh, one of my daughters, she, you know, we believe that we'll get to see Lauren again, you know, and we believe that she'll be resurrected, all of those things. And so as we explained that to her, in her mind, she just kept saying, when's she going to come back alive? You know, when's Lauren going to be back alive? Um, She really wanted it to be like right now. (laughs) And it's really hard (laughs) to explain kind of like eternity and you know all these things um we tried we thought we were clear like we always tried to use really clear language um, about what had happened and like why she died and and all of that um, that was really important but yeah I think you know again that particular daughter was just a, a lot more upset maybe more angry in her own way you know she just it wasn't fair and she was mad that her, she didn't get her baby sister. Um, and even now, I would say that she, you know, she struggles sometimes. Um, they all do in their own way. Um, we were able to do a lot of service in honor of Lauren. And I think that's been really helpful for them to help me um, do some of those projects that I've done. And... Yeah, it's really interesting. I actually recorded a podcast with them asking kind of their experience. And, and we're, yeah, we got to come on to that because I had to listen to that. But I'd like to talk about that a bit later after we okay. talk about River, if that's okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so you had, so you then got pregnant with your son fairly soon after Lauren died. How was your experience of, or this first experience of pregnancy after loss compared to your previous pregnancies? I like to just admit that I was, yeah, I was a basket case. I was so scared. I was so scared. And it was like there was nothing you could do to tell me that this was going to work out. Um, I think losing a baby right at the end after a basically textbook pregnancy. And then I think the baby loss community is amazing and supportive and like, was everything at the beginning, but you also learn all the things that can happen to a baby, right? Like all the ways your baby can die. And yeah, I just probably on the outside, it 
didn't seem like it. Like I was still doing what I needed to do. I was still being the mom. I was still going through the motions. Um, But that year of like grieving that first year and then being pregnant again and the pregnancy being almost exactly the same, like all the miles, you know, at Christmas, I was the same gestation kind of, it was really, really close. It was just like the weirdest deja vu experience. Um, And I couldn't ever, like I couldn't let myself believe or say out loud that we were going to get to keep him. Um, We actually hid the pregnancy the first half, um, even from my kids. (laughs) So I just, and that's how we coped with it. I just, I had a few friends, they knew. um, And that was amazing. Like that I had a few friends I could talk to about it, friends that were checking on me that knew how scared I was. Um, But yeah, I just, I'm lucky I'm tall. I have a lot of space. Um, I didn't show, I just wore a sweater and didn't show how like exhausted and sick I felt. And so we told them the night before the gender, like the anatomy scan. And we kind of told the kids and had them guess what they thought and then um, let them come and see um, if they got a brother or sister, which for us, obviously, it's like a big deal since (laughs) we had a track record of girls. So, yeah. And how did they respond to the news that you were pregnant? Were they anxious because of what had happened to Lauren? Yeah, they were. They were really excited, like really, really excited. And I think they're anxious in the sense, you know, when they would, they would worry about it a little bit, but as children, they just, they were mostly excited. I don't think they dwelled on worrying about it. Um, But yeah, it's definitely there. They definitely know that, that things could go badly. And your son arrived safely in the end. And that must've been a massive relief once he was finally there in your arms um, how did how did you feel at that moment um, once once you given birth to him and had him safely? Yeah, it honestly like that whole morning, I was really really scared, um, and we ended up being induced a few weeks early just like for my mental health and the doc like we had the same doctor and he, you know, he had gone over and over what he could have done differently with Lauren. Um, the sweetest doctor, like we just love him. Um, so I think for all of us, we just wanted to to wait till it was safe. You know, his lungs were good, but get him out of there. And um, we did that. And I remember even when they put him on my chest and I just was like, is he breathing? I don't think he's breathing. Like, I need you to make sure he's breathing. And I had them take him and kind of rub him and put oxygen on his, you know, they blew the little oxygen in his nose and he peed on the nurses like a good little boy. And um, then it was just like a lot more real. But I remember even up until that, until he was like checked out and pink and and all of that, just um, really hard to believe that, that it was going to turn out the way we wanted. So, but yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. I, I mean, he, having him, was incredibly healing and just so fun. And we just loved him so much. I mean, you love all your babies. 
Um, but yeah, you definitely don't sweat the nighttime feedings and, and all of the things that come with a baby. Um, and for our friends and our family, I mean, they were just so happy for us. So it was just like really exciting to have a boy and just have everyone kind of cheering for us and, and getting to just spend time with them and raise him and hold him. It was awesome. And then a while later, you got pregnant with River. Could you talk through how you felt during that pregnancy? So you've obviously had Lauren, who died at pretty much full term, then a very stressful um, pregnancy with your son, and now you're pregnant again. And then what happened during that pregnancy? Well, with River, um, we were in the process of moving, and we seem to always move when I'm pregnant. So it's kind of a joke. Uh, I was kind of surprised that we were pregnant, but excited, um, nervous, just all the things. And just kind of thinking, well, you know, this one must be meant to come to our family. And um, I remember really just hoping that he would live. Um, praying really specifically, just like, let this baby live. I just, I don't want my kids to go through this again. Um, I obviously didn't want to go through another loss, but we were, we were kind of busy. I was really, really sick, like really sick and just exhausted, but you kind of take that as a good sign, right? So you're grateful that you're really sick because they say that means good things, um, so we moved. I found a new doctor. I went into our first appointment. I was about just about 11 weeks. Um, and I remember giving her, I mean, I just gave her the whole backstory and and all the things and told her, you know, we got to do everything to make sure this baby's okay. And she was totally on board. Um, we had a plan of how we were going to manage it and like if I needed special care and what we were going to do. Um, so I felt pretty good about that and everything was going good. Um, I was so sick that I decided there's no way my kids, so they're older now, um, they're like teenagers and I'm like, I can't hide. I mean, all I'm doing is like sipping limeade and laying on the couch <laughs> and I thought we've got to tell them. So we told them they were so excited. Um, it was all good. So that was around 12 weeks. And I was like, we made it through the first trimester. You know, even being what I've been through, I mean, you know, statistically, if you make it through the first trimester, you, you should be okay. Um, but yeah, I we had seen the baby um, on ultrasound. And I was so grateful because of our past. They did send us in for a, an ultrasound um, earlier on. And he was bouncing and just waving his little arms and legs and everything was great. Um, so we did have those pictures, which I was incredibly grateful. We have those little pictures. Um, but at my next appointment, my husband was out of town. He was actually across the country. I went in and yeah, just the same thing. No, no heartbeat on the Doppler. They go get the ultrasound. Um, even then the doctor still was like, well, I want you to go over to the hospital and 
get it checked before they would kind of say anything. Um, but I already knew again at 14 weeks and you can see the baby just like, like kind of floating there. Yeah. Not moving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I was pretty upset and just, again, you're still, even though you're afraid of it, you're, it's still shocking when it happens. Um, so we did go get checked and, and ended up waiting. So it was a missed miscarriage. There wasn't any symptoms. There was nothing happening. Um, they thought it hadn't been that long since he had passed, but I, um, I talked with a friend and some other people and they were just like, yeah, sometimes, you know, you'll just keep the baby for weeks and weeks. And I did have five kids at home and my husband worked a lot. And I just thought I can't just be waiting and wondering if I'm going to start miscarrying on my own at home or bleeding and all the things. So I just decided um, that we would do surgery. And so we waited for my husband to get back um, from his business trip and we went in and it ended up being on Friday the 13th. And I never, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why I did that. Cause um, it ended up being pretty um, traumatic. I lost a lot of blood, um, woke up kind of like in the movies where you're looking at the ceiling with the lights and the doctors leaning over you, telling you, you know, what had happened. Um, so pretty scary. Um, so besides, you know, kind of grieving, losing the baby, I was, you know, it had been kind of a difficult situation for me. I couldn't even stand up for about a week. I just lost so much blood um, and had to have transfusions and and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, that's kind of what happened with the river. Gosh, that that does sound incredibly traumatic. And I and I guess your kids were just um at home kind of wondering wondering what was going on. And I listened to so the podcast episode that you mentioned where you interview your children. I listened to it and it was um it was really interesting and fascinating to hear their experiences. And one of the things I noticed was how different, particularly your elder two daughters who were kind of a, a bit older when Lauren was born, I think, and then older still when River was born, how their experience of loss and grief differed between the two children. Um, so I think your, your oldest daughter said it felt like the baby just disappeared because I guess you'd only just told them about River and then River was gone. And one of the other sort of phrases, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it really stuck with me, was one of them described the difference as Lauren felt like a baby we didn't get to bring home, but River felt more like a missed opportunity. Did you feel like your children grieved differently for River at the time? And how was your grief the same or different um, compared to your experience with Lauren? Because obviously River had been you'd been pregnant with River for longer. So it wasn't just a kind of here one day and sort of gone the next. Yeah. And I, you can't, I mean, we talk about this all the time, right? Like you can't compare losses based mm -hmm. on the, the weeks or whatever. Um, but yeah, it is just a different experience where, you know, I wasn't as far along. I hadn't, you know, you just, 
I think when you have an earlier miscarriage, you you just don't have the memories and the tangible things. And yeah, you just, there's never enough time. Like it doesn't matter when your baby dies, dies but I don't know. It's hard to explain. Um, I think for me personally, so I'll just share my personal experience. Um, I think as far as like the devastating grief um, was not as heavy, but it was different because with Lauren, I was a lot more compassionate with myself. I was able to kind of, you know, of course you start thinking, what if, what about this? What if I would have done this? Why didn't I do this? Um, But I was able to kind of give myself grace and just move through the grief and understand that the, this was going to be a long process and, and we were just going to do it. Um, but with River, I was really angrier. <laughs> I think I'm not really an angry person, but I was more just like mad that it happened, mad that I had to go through it again, mad that my kids had to go through it again. Um, so yeah, there was some, some different experiences. And again, with, we had some medical issues and things um, that happened that I just kept thinking, this is so not fair. And I think that was really painful for me. So it was more, um, yeah, just in my head, just feeling really upset with everything that had happened um, and just not getting any answers, not getting any memories, not um, getting to maybe have the experience with that pregnancy, that baby that I would have really wanted to. Um, And again, just, I think in people who have recurrent loss can understand that it just, when it happens again and again, I don't know, it's just like a different kind of grief, but for sure. I mean, I still kept going, still kept doing what we needed to do and trying to heal physically and emotionally um, and keep being a mom to my kids and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And how do you involve on how have you involved Lauren and River in your family life now? And I guess what concept do your two youngest children have of the, the siblings who aren't physically with them um, because they were either not born or, you know, so little when River died that they probably don't remember. Yeah. So we have shadow boxes in our living room. Um, they have, so Lauren, we had little handprints and I have some pictures and like some flowers off of her casket, which are probably going to turn to dust here at some point. I'm going to have <laughs> to do something with those. Um, and then River, I just have a little blanket and hat in there. Um, something we've done, like I said before, we we did a lot of sewing for other angel babies. Um, there's a charity called Teeny Tears and I found them. So a cousin of mine had donated to them in honor of Lauren when she died. And it ended up being just like such a huge therapy for me and for my family to, we were sewing um, little tiny diapers, making little tiny hats and blankets. And that really, I felt like that kept her alive. You know, that was something we could do in honor of her. 
um, all the donations they send out go with a little card with her name on it. So it was like her name was out there and she was helping other people. Um, that was really, really special and so helpful for me to be able to do that. But I was pretty open. I blogged about my story, you know, on my own blog and shared kind of what had happened. And I was pretty open about how things were going with my friends. And um, we talk about her all the time. We talk about both babies. And yeah, they're just kind of there. Um, I kind of leave it up to my kids and myself, whether or not we always mention them. Um, If people ask about our family or how many siblings the kids have, you know, we talked a lot about it, um, that it's totally up to them what they want to say. So, and that's, I mean, hard to navigate sometimes. um, But at this point, I mean, she would be seven. So we've kind of had a lot of practice. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we're pretty good at just doing whatever feels right in the moment. And for my little guys, um, so my first rainbow baby is six and he, we have a book we made of Lauren, like a photo book. And he, I feel like maybe last year, he was always looking at it and asking questions and we just try to answer. Um, We talk about Lauren. So he understands, but I mean, he's just like a busy little boy and he goes along. So every once in a while, he'll just ask questions and we answer them and then he's off, you know, to the next thing. Um, Yeah. And same with the river. Like it's to him, they're both just babies that we don't have, um, but he knows about them for sure. And then our littlest, he's not even three yet. And again, we, we show him, he sees the shadow boxes. Um, we talk about them, but I don't think he's kind of aware of much yet. Um, But as he grows up, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it more and just age appropriately um, discuss it. But yeah, we do really believe that they're part of our family, that we'll get to see them again. And so I think that that's really important to us. And I just want to, um, well, quote something back at you for the for the benefit of listeners from your website and what you've written on there about your experience of grief. And you say, even then in my deepest grief, I would see people saying, you will be sad your whole life. And I knew that wasn't what I wanted. I looked around and saw countless people who had been through so much, and I saw that they had joy in their lives. That is what I yearned for. And years later, with a lot of work, that is what I found. And I think for particularly in those kind of early days of grief, you know, I think I certainly felt and I think a lot of other people feel, you know, can I can I ever feel happy again? Can I ever feel joy again? And how, you know, how do I work through this and get to a place where um, I can kind of carry this grief with me, but not let it completely sort of rule my life? So how did you go about finding that joy in life again? Well, um, like I said there, you know, I looked to other people and I read a lot. I read a lot of stories um, and I just decided early on that 
like we were going to be fine. We were going to heal and we were going to take the time it needed. Um, I remember wishing, you know, that we still wore black for a year just so people would know that we were grieving. But I told myself that, yeah, it's going to be really hard for the first year. And I know for everyone it's different. Um, but that was really comforting to me to just not rush myself, um, to not rush my kids, to not want them to just be happy, but to let them grieve in their own ways, um, whatever that looked like for each one of them. And yeah, I just, again, believe that we're here on earth to experience hard things and we can, you know, I think the saying is let us make it, let it make us better or bitter. Right. And I didn't want to be bitter. Um, I wanted to honor her. I wanted to live for her. I wanted to keep going, keep moving on. And, and yeah, so I think just having that already having a base in my faith and in myself, just faith in myself that, that I could overcome hard things that happened in my life and find happiness again. And it wasn't dishonoring to her to be happy. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, really important and something to bear in mind, I think, or which we all bear in mind. Um, and you now have a life coaching business helping other um, lost mums. When did you decide to set this up and how do you help other people learn to live with their grief over time? Yeah, I found, so my life coach has a podcast and her name's Jodi Moore and she's amazing. And I found her and as soon as I heard what she was teaching, so I mean, there's a lot of life coaches and really, you know, it they're all different. Um, but the particular style that I teach is when I heard her, I was just like, yes, this is everything I already knew, just like put so clearly um, that it just really resonated with me. And it didn't take me long to decide that Maybe that was something that I wanted to do to help other people. I'd kind of, um, like I said, I had finished university pregnant with my first baby um, and I had wanted to be a mom and I was happy, happy to stay home with them um, by choice and grateful that I could because um, I know a lot of people aren't able to do that. But I had thought about going back to school. I thought about maybe being a, like a marriage and family therapist. I always like loved helping people. Um, and so when I saw the opportunity to do the training to become a life coach, I thought, you know, this work, like the way we manage our mind and our emotions and really empower um, women to and men, like it works for everybody, but um, I focus on moms. It just empowers you to stop being a victim in your life and really just allow yourself to live this human experience. And I thought I have to do baby loss moms. Like I have to help because the tools apply to anybody. And a lot of my friends, they all help different types of people. Um, but yeah, since Lauren died, I've been 
like hugely involved in baby loss and I knew how much I could help them. And so it wasn't even like a second thought. I just was like, yes, I need to bring this to other moms who have lost a baby and and help them to see that they can have an amazing life and they're not stuck um, being sad forever. And also that their loss is just one part of their story. Um, at the beginning, it's everything, of course, and that's not a problem. Um, but just showing them that if they allow themselves to grieve and if they allow themselves to move forward, that that they can really have whatever they want, um, even without their baby. Of course, they miss their baby, but like they can do amazing things. And I don't know. It's it's just so fun to watch, and I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's there's definitely something around this kind of. I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes we're brought up feeling like we're supposed to feel happy all the time, or kind of joyful, and and make the most most of everything, as opposed to actually kind of accepting all the kind of different feelings and human emotions that we go through even on a daily basis, let alone through, you know, the different stages of our life and and going through something or experiencing um, baby loss is probably one of the most incredibly traumatic and distressing things you'll go through. But I, I guess it is one of those phases and it, it's kind of accepting that it's not a, it's not a bad thing to feel grief. Um, and that actually, because I, I always like to think that actually – grief is a sign of how much you you know you love your baby you know if you didn't love them then you wouldn't be grieving for them but that doesn't have to be the only emotion you feel either at that time or or moving forwards I think it's that resistance to reality and there's so many kind of ways of thinking you know you've got like Buddhism and meditation and like different teachers of life you know, it's kind of this idea that when we resist reality, that's when we create a lot of pain for ourselves. So just knowing that life is going to be hard like half the time and that's okay um, leads you into learning to allow emotions because we're terrible at it. I think in our Western culture, right? Like you said, it's it's all about, you know, putting a silver lining and a positive spin. And and when we think we're supposed to be happy all the time, it really actually causes us so much more pain. And so when we learn that that's not true and it's okay to be feeling any emotion, um, but understanding that those emotions come from our thoughts, that we create them, that gives us, that's where the empowerment comes in. It's like, okay, if this isn't just happening to me all outside of me, you know, that I do, even if you don't have control of what happened to your baby, you do have control of your reaction and what you decide to do moving forward. And also knowing that like the present is all we have. So a lot of times we get wrapped up in our past and our story and we just want to hang on to that story, even though it's hurting us. Um, so I like to teach people that, you know, how you feel today is because of how you think today and you have control over that. And so if you don't like 
the results you're getting in your life, then you can just become a lot more aware of what's going on because a lot of times we're really not aware. Um, And then you can feel better if you want to. And you don't have to because, I mean, again, that's not what I'm here to do is like teach you how to change your thoughts so you can be happy all the time. It's just uh, to show people that they do have a lot more control over their experience as a human on this earth than they think they do. I think those are some very wise words for us to finish on. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Amy. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Would you just like to finish by telling people where they can find out more about you, your coaching and your podcast? Yes. So I am on Instagram mostly um, at amy.smoothstonescoaching and my website is smoothstonescoaching. And my podcast is called Smooth Stones. And there is a reason behind that. If you check it out, you can see um, why I named it that. But yeah, I love uh, meeting with people and I do coach one-on-one right now. If you are struggling with your grief or pregnancy after loss, um, just feeling really scared. I love helping people um, with kind of anything they have going on in their life, loss-related or not but it's awesome to have someone who has been there and understands. Um, As we all know, it's like, you just don't have to say, you don't have to explain yourself because I get it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.